All right, good morning. How's everybody doing? It's good to see you this morning. If you're in the room, if you're watching online with us at live or at a later date, we're so glad you're here checking us out and spending this time with us today. Uh, you know, history is full of defining moments. You know, moments in time where, you know, things that, that were thought were, were no longer thought that way anymore, or things that, that were perceived a certain way changed because of a new idea, a new, a new reality, a new, a new thought. You know, one of those, uh, happened with a guy named Nicholas Copernicus. Uh, you guys can check out his, uh, his good looking face up there, um, on the screen. He's got, uh, some really good hair. I like that. Um, I think I might do that. But, uh, Copernicus uh, is probably somebody we all kind of heard about. Uh, Copernicus was, was a, a Renaissance and Reformation area mathematician and astronomer. And he, and he, his most famous work and book that he published was on the revolutions of the celestial spheres. How many of you guys have that at your home library? A couple, couple of you guys? All right. There's really smart people in the room. How many of you guys would see that book at the bookstore? And even if it was a dollar, you'd be like, no, I'm not going to read that. Like, okay. All right. It's probably more me. But anyway, in, in 1940 or 15, 1543, 1543, he decided and published this work that said that, that the common thought that had been at the time that the earth was the center of the universe wasn't true. But then in fact, the sun was the center of the universe. Now, this was a radical idea. We look at that and it's kind of like, well, of course, you guess what we've always been taught. But back in, 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 in the day of Copernicus, this had cultural, had spiritual, had all kinds of ramifications based upon it. And, and so he published this work, um, which I don't know if he did this right before his death to avoid the negative feedback or if that's just kind of how things worked out. But he published this work and it changed forever how we view our solar system. Now, if you look at modern day representations today, you know, we know that Copernicus was right, that the sun is the center of our solar system. You know, but back in his day, that was a huge thing because what he was saying was, is that, is that what's at the center of the universe is important. And knowing what's at the center of the universe has, has ramifications to everything else. And that idea of, of what's at the center is not as important for science. I believe it's important for our life. Because here's what I believe, no matter whether you're a follower of Jesus here today or you're here kind of checking out faith, checking out church, uh, maybe invited to somebody because they're going to buy you lunch, which I always encourage that um, to, you know, if you're going to be, you know, brought to church, ask for lunch. At least, you know, you get something out of the deal, right? You know, it's kind of this idea of whatever is the center of our life is an important thing. And I believe we all have something at the center of our life. And I want you to write this down. Turn on your notes. No, no fill in the blanks today, so you can kind of you know, take your own notes. But, but I want you to write this down because I think it's important. Is whatever is at the center of my life will both define my life and determine how I live. That whatever is at the center of my life will both define my life and will determine how I live. So if success is at the center of your life, meaning that's the most important thing for you. That's the thing that gives you, gives you meaning. It gives you satisfaction. It gives you that drive. Then, then everything else in life, maybe family, maybe hobbies, maybe money, maybe your vocation, it all goes around what's most important. If relationships are the most important thing in your life, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you, you know, you do this and do that, it all factors around what's in the center. That what's in the center of our life is the most important thing about us. And and what that has to do with the series that we're in is that these early Jesus people, these first followers of Jesus, the very first church, 
they had a core belief, a core idea. It was called the gospel. And the gospel was the center of their life. Now, not perfectly, because as we've been looking at in this series, here's kind of the big idea that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Not that God uses perfect people. So these Jesus people were in no way perfect. They struggled. There were times where they had something at the center of their life that was probably the wrong thing, but they had a core belief, a core idea and reality. And it was what's called the gospel. And the reason why that's so important is because the gospel of Jesus, we'll talk more about what the gospel is, but the gospel of Jesus, the message of Jesus, Jesus Christ himself and their belief in him, it defined their life and it directed how they lived. And if we want to be people who God uses, ordinary people that God can use in extraordinary ways, if we want to continue to live the life of influence and impact in this world, I believe what's at the center of our life is important. And so the question we're going to look at today is this, is what is at the center of your life? What is at the center of your life? You know, if you're, if you're new, this, this series that we're in, and we're walking through the New Testament book of Acts. Acts tells the story of the birth and the growth of the very first Christian church, the very first followers of Jesus. And we've been tracking along, you know, here are some of the things we see about these people or that we see God doing in and through the lives of these people because God still wants to use us today to continue the mission, the ministry, and the message of Jesus. And so let's kind of jump in. We're going to rewind a little bit to Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, I want you to pull that out. If not, I want you to... um, uh, you know, look on the screen because the verses are going to be up there. But Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were seating, sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages. Um, as the Spirit enabled. So if you were here last week, it's what we talked about. We talked about this idea that the, the Holy Spirit of God, God's presence in the life of a believer, God's power in the life of a believer, this was the moment that God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, came, came into play. It had always been, but it filled these Jesus people, and they began to speak in other languages, Right? And, and we talked all about this last week. So if you weren't here, you're kind of like, I don't understand all that. Check out the message, go to the website, go to the podcast, watch or listen to it, because there's some really cool stuff in this crazy story about tongues of fire and wind and people speaking different languages and all that kind of stuff. But what we need to understand, that plays into what we're talking about today. Because as this was going on, as God was showing up in this incredibly powerful and miraculous way, a crowd began to gather. Look at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 5. It says, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So what happened was, is that the Holy Spirit comes. All these people are gathered in this, this town called Jerusalem for this Jewish festival called Pentecost. And all of a sudden, this, this large group of people, begin speaking in other languages all at the same time. Now, the miraculous part of it was all these people are speaking in languages that they don't naturally speak, that they don't know. 
So it's not like they were bilingual and just decided to speak in English instead of Spanish. They started speaking in languages that they didn't know, empowered in a miraculous way by the Holy Spirit. Now, this gathers a crowd because they're all speaking these different languages. And so all these people show up. And it says, when they heard the crowd, they came together because everyone heard their own language being spoken. So if there were people there that spoke English, then they heard English being spoken. If there were people there that heard Spanish, they heard Spanish being spoken. If they heard this dialect or that language, they heard what God was saying through these people in their own languages. And they were proclaiming the wonders of God. So here's kind of what happens. They come together in this crowd. Look at verse 7. Utterly amazed, they asked... Aren't all these, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans saying, listen, they, they, they shouldn't be speaking my, my language, but they are. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Part, and it begins to list off some of the languages that were there. Parthians, Medes, the Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia. Egypt and the other parts of Libya near the Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And it says, amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? Has God ever done something in your life that you couldn't quite understand? See, what's interesting is, is that when God does something in, in the Bible... Or God does something in our life. God works in a way that seems to be supernatural. There are different ways people respond to that. And it kind of depends on who they are. It depends on where their faith is. And in this crowd, we see there were different responses to what God was doing. Some said that they were amazed. They were amazed by what happened. It says that others and some were perplexed. They didn't really understand. We're going to see that some believed that this was something that God himself was doing. Others didn't believe. And yet there were others that they just kind of made fun of what was happening. They, they mocked it. Look at verse 13. It says, some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. So they're like, okay, what's going on? Well, obviously they're drunk, right? They're drunk. They're acting crazy. They're acting foolish. But here, here's kind of a, if I can just kind of pause, here, here's, a, here's a really cool, like little nugget of truth for this, this passage. Is, isn't it funny how so many times people, and we do the same thing, want to attribute mundane reasoning and causes to God's miraculous things. Like they want to take what God is doing that can't maybe be explained and they want to just come up with an explanation. So these people are kind of like, oh, well, they must be drunk because it's easier to believe this hundred or so crowd of people are going to be drunk at 9 a.m., right? Than just to believe that God might actually be doing something amazing. But you see, listen, sometimes in our life, I do the same thing, is, is, is we downplay the miraculous nature of God and we just look for mundane reasons of why things happen. That conversation that I needed to have that just kind of came out of nowhere. Well, that was just a coincidence. No, that was actually God working in a supernatural way. God, for, you know, something just kind of come, came alongside. I was at church and the pastor just said something that was exactly what I was thinking. Man, I was so glad I was lucky to be there. No, it wasn't luck. It was God working in miraculous ways. Because God still does miraculous and supernatural things. But some said, no, 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 they're, they're just drunk. That's, that's what's happened. They're just drunk. And here's how Peter, seeing the, the opportunity now that he has to, 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 to proclaim the, what's happening and proclaim the truth of Jesus, here's what he says. He says, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, 
Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I've always loved that. Because Peter's not like, listen, these are, these are Jesus people. They're, they're, they're faithful, God-fearing people. They wouldn't be drunk. He's like, no, it's way too early for that junk, right? It's not a tailgate Sunday afternoon type thing, like, you know, getting drunk at nine in the morning. Like, no, 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 no. We've been praying. Yeah, we haven't gotten to that part yet, right? But he's just kind of like, listen, let's just, let's just put that aside, all right? It's not what's happening. And he pivots then, and he goes, and here's what's so crazy. Here's what's so clever about Peter. Is, you know, sometimes as, as Christians, right, in the church, we, we, we want to talk to people who aren't followers of Jesus, who don't understand maybe what we know to be true or understand church. We want to talk to them as though, as though they're us and they understand what we're saying. But, but here's what Peter does. Peter doesn't just start talking to them based upon what he knows. He goes back to something they will actually understand. He speaks to them in a way that they can understand and connect with. And here's what he says. No, 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 you know, uh, this is what was spoken. Look at verse 16. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So he goes back to what these people would have known, the Old Testament, saying, listen, listen, what happened, this is what Joel said, the Old Testament prophet Joel, because these are all God-fearing Jews. They would have known the scriptures. So he goes back to what he knew they would know to show them what he wanted to teach them. And here's what he says. So Joel said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be tuned or turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Peter says, okay, listen, no, 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 they're not drunk. Here's what's happening. Remember back to the prophet Joel. Remember back hundreds of years when Joel, this prophet of God said, there will be a day where God will do a new thing. That God will pour out his spirit on these people and they'll do miraculous things. They'll prophesy. They'll, there's all this stuff's going to happen. Well, he says, listen, this is what's happening. That what's happening isn't like people drunk on it early in the morning. What's happening is that God's spirit has now been poured out. And what you believed about God is actually coming true in your midst. He says, listen, that, that the, the Holy Spirit was coming. And we need to understand he's here. And this is what's going on. Look at verse 22. And then he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. So he says, listen, he starts with Joel and he pivots to say this new thing that Joel's talking about. It all started with Jesus. And he says, listen, you, you know about Jesus. You know that Jesus did miracles. You know that Jesus had all these signs that God supported him and God did things through him to reveal that he was the son of God. And here's what he said. He said, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So Peter says, listen, 
This new thing that Joel was talking about. Jesus is the one who's bringing the new thing. Jesus is the one who's making all of this now possible. And the very fact that he was turned over and he was crucified and he was put in a tomb wasn't something that God wasn't aware was going to happen. It was part of God's plan. That even his death, which was so unexpected to so many people, was part of what God was doing the whole time. But God didn't leave him in the grave. God raised him from the dead. Because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. He's saying, listen, Jesus is the center of all the stuff. He's the center of all these promises of the Old Testament. Everything you believe in comes back to Jesus. And then he goes not just to Joel, but to David, the Old Testament king who wrote many of the Psalms. He says this, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. He says, listen, David wrote this talking about Jesus, talking about the one who was to come. See, people thought that David was proclaiming that he wouldn't die, but he said, no, 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 no. Look what he says in verse 29. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. His tomb is here to this day. He's saying, listen, David wasn't writing this about himself because David died. In fact, his tomb is right here in Jerusalem. He was writing about the one Messiah, the Savior that was to come. He was writing about Jesus. It says this, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did, he see, did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and was poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool on your feet. He's saying, listen, David was writing about the Messiah who was to come. That Messiah who was to come is Jesus. And in verse 36, he, he proclaims and he says, this belief in this idea that was center, central to who they were as Jesus' people. He says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He says, listen, everything that you've believed and you've waited for in the promises of God, they've come true in Jesus. This Jesus, whom you crucified, he is Lord and Messiah. That all that God is calling us to do and be a, be a part of, all the faith that you as Jewish people have put in to the promises of God, Jesus has come. And Jesus is the focus. Jesus is central to what God is doing. You know, have you ever had one of those light bulb moments kind of happen in, you know, in life? You know, maybe, maybe students, you're, you're, you're working on something and, and you know, your, your teachers explain this like 20 million times and you can't figure it out. And then one of your friends says, oh, it's like this. And like, oh, I got it. That light bulb comes on, right? 
you know, maybe, you know, you, you grew up in church and, and you kind of, you know, I kind of know the Bible and all that kind of stuff, but there's just some questions you have and then somebody explains something in a new way and it's like light bulb moment comes on, right? You know, it's kind of, it's kind of like this. Maybe, maybe it's not that, but, but have you ever turned down uh, the wrong way on a one-way street? Have you ever done that? Right? I have several times, right? And, and, and like, it's that, it's that moment, that, that light bulb moment, it's, it's, it, it jolts you when you're like, I'm going the wrong way, right? And it demands that you do something about it, right? Well, this is what happened to many people in this crowd. It was like the light bulb went off. The Holy Spirit showed them that, that what God had been doing, what they believed in, was now fulfilled in Jesus. And it was like at that moment, something had to be changed. Something had to be done. And here's what they said. Verse 37 says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the hearts. They realized, oh my gosh, I've missed this. And it said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They said, listen, how do I make this right? I'm going the wrong way down the street. How do I turn around? How do I go back to what's going on? How do I make sure that, that I'm not missing what, what God has been doing? And Peter responds in this way. Says Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all those who are far off. That would be us. For all whom the Lord God will call. He says, what do we do? Repent. Turn around. Change your direction. Change your focus. Change what you're trusting in to be central to your life. Turn to Jesus and be baptized. Now, is Peter saying you have to be baptized then to be saved, to be a follower of Jesus? I don't believe that. Because the salvation comes, forgiveness of sin comes by grace through faith alone. The Bible says that. But baptism is that outward step of obedience that should happen in our life it's our way to say god has changed me on the inside let me share that on the outside and then peter goes on in verse 40 says with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them now as a pastor i just want to point that out right because you're kind of like man peter like save you know three thousand people got saved and that wasn't a very long message it says with many other words all right so it wasn't like a five-minute message. It was longer than that. Anyway. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. He said, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So the church in that one day, that one message, that one sermon, that one declaration of the gospel, the church grew from 100 or so to over 3,000 people. That's the power of a life centered on the gospel of Jesus. And what we see about Jesus' people throughout this time and throughout the rest of the story is this, is that Jesus' people, these first followers, they were centered on the gospel. They were centered on the gospel. That, that when it came to, came to their life, that, that what they fought to keep at the center was the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus. Now, were they perfect? Absolutely not. We talked about that. Did they mess up? Absolutely. 
Did other things kind of jump in from time to time to, to take their focus and be the center of their life? Yes. But when they were able to keep Jesus and the gospel of Jesus at the center of their life, it defined who they were and it directed what they did. And here's what I believe, that, that, that if you and, and I, if we want to be that ordinary person that God uses in extraordinary ways, if we want to see God work in our life, if we want to know God in a personal way, if we want to find peace, we want to find satisfaction, we want to find fullness, the only thing and the best thing that our lives should be centered around and centered on is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what is the gospel? You see, here's the thing. Maybe you're watching online or maybe you're here today and you're like, okay, I hear that word gospel, but what does that mean? Maybe you grew up in church and you kind of have this idea of gospel, but, but what really is the gospel? What is it that I'm, I'm called to base my life around, that I'm called to keep at the center of who I am? Well, let's look at a couple things. Uh, well, well, number one, it's this. Acts 2.36, Peter said this way. So therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He said the gospel is Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus. It's who Jesus is. But, but what is this word gospel? Well, the word gospel comes from this Greek word euangelion. And it means good news. So the gospel of Jesus is the good news of Jesus. The good news of what life can be like and how life can change because of who Jesus is and what he's done. The gospel is expressed in, in kind of the historical terms of here's what happened and then some spiritual realities. So believing the gospel, basing our life on the gospel, is basing our life and faith on something that historically actually happened. Look what Paul says in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8. He's talking about the gospel and he defines that, that there's a part of the gospel, part of the good news that's historical, that, that we need to understand there are certain things that happen. And because they happen, our lives can be changed. Look at this. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want, you to remi- I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. Why is the gospel so important? Because it's by the gospel that we're saved. It's by belief in the gospel, Jesus Christ, that we have eternal life. It says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So he's saying, listen, this is the most important thing. This is of first importance. Before anything else that Paul says, I've written to you as a church. I've written to you as, as Christians. This is most important. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas, which is another name for Peter. And then to the 12, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And at last, he also appeared to me as one abnormally born. Paul's saying, listen, that that he didn't see Jesus personally in that 40-day or so window after the resurrection, but Jesus appeared to him different. But he appeared to him as a risen Savior, face to face. And Paul says, listen, there's certain things that we need to believe about the gospel. Certain historical things. Number one is this, is that Jesus lived. It's important to believe that Jesus lived, that Jesus was a real person. 
who was fully God, fully man. He was really on this earth and he lived and did all the things the Bible says that he did. Second is this, is that Jesus died. It's Jesus died. We have to believe that Jesus actually died a real death because if he didn't die a real death and he can't pay the penalty for sin, which the Bible says is death. Jesus wasn't passed out. Jesus wasn't just, you know, kind of hurt. Jesus died on the cross and he was put in a tomb. He was buried. He was buried. His actual body was put into a tomb wrapped in burial clothes that he was dead. But that he rose from the grave. Because see, if Jesus is still in the tomb, if Jesus is still dead, then how can he help us get eternal life? See, Jesus had to rise from the grave. We have to believe that. We have to trust in that. Because it's through his defeating death and through his resurrection that we can defeat death and we can have eternal life. And it's that he appeared. It's important that we come back around on this, that that, that, that Christians, these Christians didn't believe and put their faith in an empty tomb. They put their faith in a risen Savior. Jesus, who walked with him, who talked to him, who appeared to him, who ate with him, appearing up upwards to 500 people at one time. And so believing in Jesus, putting our faith and trust in him, having Jesus in his gospel at the center of our life means we believe that he lived. We believe that he died. We believe that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead, and we believe that he appeared to others. Those are the historical parts. The the things that we're trusting in, this event that happened. But we're also trusting in some spiritual realities. Because the resurrection in the gospel is not just about things that happen. It's about what happened inside of us and what can happen inside of all those who believe. In um, Romans 3-25, Paul writes this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Listen, that there's a spiritual reality of what happened. And it's really kind of three things. Number one is this, is that Jesus paid the price for our sins. See, the Bible says that the wages of sin, that what we earn because of our disobedience because of our self-centeredness, because of our rebellion against God, because of the mistakes that we make, the things that we do wrong, the things that we think wrong, the things that we say wrong, like all that stuff the Bible calls sin. And, and the Bible says this, that, that because of that sin, the, the penalty, the payment, what's due us is death, a separation from God for eternity. And when Jesus died a real death on the real cross, he paid for those sins. So we no longer owe a debt to God because we can never pay that debt. But not only has he paid the price for our sins, is that Jesus gives us a way to be forgiven and made new. That Jesus not only paid the debt for sin, he's given you and he's given me a way for us to, to be forgiven and cleansed and made new, for us to no longer be defined by our sin and our mistakes, but to be defined as God's son or daughter who's been forgiven and loved and accepted for eternity. And that through Jesus, we can have that eternal life with God. John 3.16, the most familiar verse in all of Scripture, summarizes the gospel of Jesus. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
See, through Jesus, the Jesus who lived, who died, who was buried, who raised from the dead, and who appeared to others, through that, we've been forgiven. Our sin has been paid for, and we can have eternal life. See, that's the gospel. The gospel is not just that Jesus was a good person. The gospel is not just that that Jesus lived 2,000 years ago and taught some really cool things. The gospel is not, well, I'll be a good person, and if my good outweighs my bad, then I'll get to heaven one day. The gospel is that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life, and that no one can come to the Father except through him. And see, the Jesus people, these first Christians, though they weren't perfect, they were defined by this truth. When Peter had the opportunity to stand up before the crowd of thousands on Pentecost, what did he point to? He pointed to the gospel. Well, so how does the gospel change us? How do we embrace the gospel? Well, look what Paul says in Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. See, the way that we have the gospel, not just be something we believe in, but that comes and becomes the center of our life, is that we put our faith and our trust in who Jesus was, that he lived, that he died, that he was buried, that he, he rose from the grave, and that he appeared. And we believe in our heart those things. And we confess with our mouth that he is Lord, the one who can forgive our sin, make a way for us to be made whole again, and bring us eternal life. See, whatever is at the center of my life, whatever it is, it's going to define me. All these different things are going to orbit around the center of my life. And it's going to direct my life. So here's the question. The takeaway for today. What's at the center of your life? What's defining and directing you today? It might not be a bad thing. Relationships aren't a bad thing. Spouse, not a bad thing. Kids, not really a bad thing. Job, important thing, right? But if it's anything other than the gospel of Jesus... Even religion, even church, then it's going to define us differently and it's going to direct us in a different way. And we're going to miss the power of what the gospel is and who the gospel is, and that's Jesus. Jesus himself said this way, and we'll, we'll, we'll conclude with this Matthew 6 33. It said, Seek first the kingdom of God above all else, seek this first. And it says, live righteously, and he will give you everything else you need. That all of this other stuff in life finds its place and its purpose when we're centered around the gospel of Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, we come to you in this moment thanking you for the good news of Jesus. Thanking that because of of Jesus, because of the life he lived, the death he died, his resurrection... 
God, and what that did in spiritual ways and spiritual transactions and realities for us, God, that we can find life eternal. That we don't have to be defined by our sin. We don't have to be directed by our addictions and our our bad habits. But God, we can overcome everything because of Jesus. And so God, we ask that in these moments that you would give us clarity. Help us know and to see what's at the center of our life. And God, help us to make sure that Jesus is there. Your head bowed and your eyes closed as we just continue in this season of prayer. I want to ask you this question. I wonder if there's anybody here today who you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus. You've never made that decision to make Jesus the center of your life. You've never accepted and embraced the gospel. Well, today I want to lead you in a prayer and give you an opportunity to make that decision. The words that you say don't matter as much as the intention of your heart. But I would just like to be able to lead you in that. So if you want to make that decision today to put Jesus at the center of your life for the very first time, pray this prayer. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Jesus, I believe that you are God's son. I believe that you lived, that you died, that you were buried in a tomb. But Jesus, you rose from the grave and you appeared to many, many people. And because of your death and resurrection, you've paid for my sin. Jesus, you've made a way for me to have eternal life and to be new again. Jesus, today I ask you to forgive my sin and cleanse my life. From this day forward, I commit to following you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, here's what I believe. That you've been saved. You've been changed. The Holy Spirit has come to live in your life. God's very presence. And Jesus can be and continue to be the center of your life. But for everybody who's been a follower of Jesus for more than a couple hours knows, it's, it's not always easy to keep Jesus in the center. So I wonder this, if you're a follower of Jesus today, is he the center of your life? I think sometimes it's easy to allow other things to come in the way, but sometimes we just need to be reminded of why the gospel of Jesus is so powerful. And so as we sing this next song, we're going to have a time of communion in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a a way that we commemorate and celebrate the, the, the life of Jesus. On the last night before Jesus was arrested, he went to the cross to give his life for the world. He had a meal with his closest followers, the 12 disciples. And as a part of that meal, he took bread and he said, this bread represents my body, which will be broken for you. Whenever you eat this bread, remember me. Remember what it means. And he said, this cup is my blood, this new covenant, this new reality that you can be forgiven of your sin. And whenever you drink this cup, remember me. And so Christians throughout history have taken these elements of bread and a cup and allowed those to be reminders of what God has done through Jesus for us. And so as we sing this song together, as we think about that question of what's really the center of my life, I want to invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, to come to one of our four stations. 
to grab some bread, to grab a cup, and then to take those elements on your own. We're not going to take them all together. We're just going to have you give freedom in that time. You can come to the front and kneel and pray. You can gather as a family. You can go to the, the prayer stations. You can gather with friends, whatever you want to do. But the only requirement is you need to be a follower of Jesus. You, if you may be an out-of-town guest and you're like, well, I'm not a member of the church, that doesn't matter. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're welcome. So let's stand together. Let's use this time to allow God to speak to us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we think about how central Jesus is to who we are.